Well, we are starting a new series today called Summer in the Psalms. Um, if I didn't introduce myself earlier, I'm Kyle. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Grace, and, or the only pastor here at Grace. Um, and uh, sorry, too soon, sorry. Um, um, we're starting a new summer series uh, called Summer in the Psalms. Um, I'm really excited that we're going to be doing this together. Uh, the Psalms were Israel's songbook. Uh, they weren't written primarily as poems that God's people read in private, though they did that. Um, they were songs that they sang in worship together in community, songs that shaped their identity, songs that shaped their hearts and their understanding of who God is and how they are to respond to him. These are the songs that God's people and Jesus himself sang. These are the Psalms that they went back to time and time again in every circumstance, in every trouble they encountered. The Psalms cover the full breadth of the human experience and every emotion. Uh, they cover lament and joy, failure, success, despair, um, hope. And today we're going to look at Psalm 121. It's a song of ascent. There are 15 Psalms that are in this uh, category, Psalms 120 to 134. Um, and you see every year, three times a year, according to Deuteronomy 16, 16, God's people were, were to come to Jerusalem for the three major feasts uh, to worship with God's people and to celebrate God's provision and his mighty works. These are called the songs of ascent because whatever direction you approach Jerusalem from, you had to go up because Jerusalem was at the top of a mountain. So these are the songs that they sang as they approached the holy mountain, as they approached and prepared to celebrate worshiping God and his presence with God's people. These are the songs that prepared their hearts and reoriented them on their long and their difficult journey. This psalm this morning that we're looking at is, a, for many, a source of great comfort and confidence, especially during times of uncertainty, especially during times of confusion and great difficulty. This is a psalm that I continue to go back to time and again when I don't understand what God is up to, when I am or the people around me are hurting and discouraged and beaten down. Um, because in the midst of our, of our circumstances and experiences that try to tell us that God isn't present, that God doesn't care about us, that we're insignificant, that we're unworthy, that we're unwanted, that we're unlovable, this psalm shouts the truth about who God is and his care and his provision for us. So this morning, if you're discouraged, if you're weary, if you feel beaten down and tired, if you're uncertain and confused about who God is, about what he's up to in the world, hear Psalm 21 this morning. Be encouraged. Allow the truth of the scripture and the truth of the gospel to be louder than any voice that's in your ear. Please read with me Psalm 121. This is God's word given for his glory and for our good. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. 
The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that we are able to gather for worship with our families and children. This is a wonderful thing. Uh, Show us yourself and your gospel this morning through your word. Help us to see you and to fall more in love with you uh, as we approach your, your throne this morning. In Christ's name we come. Amen. Well, last week I had the chance to uh, get away for a few days, and I got to spend four days in Big Sky, Montana, um, and driving around, walking around, getting to see just the beauty and the majesty of the Rocky Mountains. It's just, there's just something that comes alive within me, and it's, I just love being out there. Um, and, I, and I get just overwhelmed with the, the vastness of God's creation and the beauty and his handiwork. But while we were there, um, I got to go on a hike, and it was just this beautiful hike. Got to see just over across all of Big Sky, and got to see Lone Mountain and uh, West Yellowstone. It was just just gorgeous. But as the days passed, I kept being reminded more and more of, of this psalm. And when you go hiking, um, you find and you stay on the trail. Like, that's your one job when you're hiking. Uh, you stay on the trail. There's signs that tell you don't go off the trail, and you know you see you, like a sign with a hiker on it, and then a line through it that says don't go off the trail. And the reason for that is because if you go off the trail, you might be in danger. The trail is tried, and it's and it's true. It's it's tested. It will get you to the summit. It will get you back down the mountain. You don't just go up the mountain any way that you choose because if you just start just just gallivanting through the forest, there's wild animals. That's why you carry bear spray when you're in Big Sky, because you might happen upon a bear, and then you freak out and spray the bear, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, There's unsteady rocks that your foot might slip. There's cliffs that you might fall off of. There's danger all around you, and it becomes multiplied when you decide to go off the trail. So you keep your eyes focused on what's ahead of you. You keep your eyes focused so that you don't veer off the trail. You stay with your group or you stay with your guide because if you get too far behind, you start to think, well, hey, you know, I can, I can figure this out on my own. I can, I can catch up and find a shortcut to catch up with the trail. I know where it's going. And then you slip or you find yourself in a place that you shouldn't be. And then if you happen to find the trail again, what you find is that it's amazing because it reorients you on your journey. It resets your course And that's what Psalm 121 is for us this morning. God's people are traveling to Jerusalem for worship, and it's a difficult journey. The mountains are steep and difficult. There are thieves and there's bandits that are ready to strike. The sun is scorching during the day, and the moon is is difficult at night to see because sometimes it's not out, and it's difficult to see anything in the dark. So they're tempted to stop, to go back, to go back home, they're tempted to look for help in places that seem promising but only hurt them or get them lost in the end. So Psalm 121 is like our trail this morning. It re, it's meant to reorient us, to have a right understanding of who God is, and it keeps us from wandering off into the woods looking for something that seems promising but fails to deliver in the long run, that fails to get us home. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is where Where do we go for help? Where do we go for help? Verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? 
So this implies that we are going to need help at some point in our lives. The original travelers who were singing this psalm on their way to Jerusalem, they looked up and they saw the mountains, they saw the hills, and they asked this question, where does my help come from? Why is that significant for us? Because when they looked up at the mountains, what did they see? They saw one of three things. They saw the beauty and the majesty of the mountains. They saw God's handiwork on display for them. Um, Or when they looked up, they saw the mountains and they saw fear and they saw uncertainty. They saw the difficulties that this journey brought. They thought about the bands of robbers and bandits that might be hiding in the hills ready to strike them at any time. They thought about the wild animals that might attack them, about the rocks and the cliffs that, that might make them stumble and bring injury or harm. They saw their circumstances and they thought, this is difficult. This is dangerous. This is, this is hard. What's going to help me? Where can I go for help? And then that might lead them to think of the last thing on, that they might see when they look up to the hills. Uh, at this time on their journey as they're approaching Jerusalem, they would look up to the hills and they would have seen the high places, the shrines, the Asherah poles, the places of pagan worship and and sacred prostitution that offered help, that offered protection from the sun god, that offered protection from the moon god, that offered protection from the tiny devils that hid under the rocks waiting to attack them. So they offered protection. They helped, they helped them feel good. They, they offered safety on your travels. And the same thing is true for you and for me. When failure, uh, when life brings frustration and hardship, when pain and when suffering slither their way into our lives, when injustice is happening and it seems like the world is on fire around us, Uh, When failures and discouragements arise, we look for help too. Where where do we go for help though? You know, what promises safety? What promises comfort for you? Um, During this time of the quarantine, during the coronavirus, and then the awful events uh, of the, the, that the injustice in our world that's happening right now and the protests and the riots that have been pushed to the forefront of our news cycle, Um, in our social media feeds, and our own hearts um, over the past week, it's left us hurting. It's left us discouraged. It's left us searching and wondering and asking this question, where is our help? Where do you go when you're hurting? When you're scared? When you're uncertain? Where do you go for help? What do you focus your heart on? You know, is it your political party? Is it a cause that you can get behind so that you can make a difference? Is it trying to get ahead at work? Is it trying to bury yourself in your work to make more money? Or it could be that vacation that's coming up that's been postponed where you can disconnect and disengage and just forget all the troubles of home. It could be your children. It could be a relationship. Um, It could be alcohol or Netflix or video games or pornography or reading or just focusing on something that you can control, something that you can escape to something that promises to bring satisfaction and purpose, something that's going to quiet that still small voice in you that whispers, you're a failure, you're weak, there's no purpose here. You need something that's going to make you happy, something that's going to make you feel valuable and loved and worthy. So where do we look for help? 
We all look for something to bring meaning or something to escape the anxiety that we live with, something to bring satisfaction or pleasure or hope in our lives. But if we're honest, if I'm honest with you, I don't go immediately to God. I don't want his help. I want immediate action, immediate relief, immediate answers, immediate clarity. We all want to fix that nagging hole in that deficit that we live with. We want to fix the problem in front of us. And so we surround ourselves with these helps um, from the hills that promise relief, that promise answers, that promise pleasure, that promise safety, that promise security, that promise that you'll feel anything but fear or confusion or despair. And so we go to these hills for help. But like Jeremiah says in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, truly the hills are a delusion. We lift our eyes up to the hills and our offer and offers of help. But as one author says, a look to the hills for help ends in disappointment. For all their majesty and beauty, for all their quiet strength and firmness, they're finally just hills. For all their promises of safety against the perils of the road, for all the allurements of their priests and priestesses, they are all finally lies. One of my favorite books from the past several years uh, that was turned into a movie that wasn't as good as the book is called Ready Player One. Um, It's set in the near future um, after this energy crisis that's created this dystopian society where food and travel are just extremely scarce and life is just totally miserable for everyone. Um, But then there's this virtual reality world called the Oasis where most of the people in this world, um, they've opted out of living in real life. They've opted out of the grim and difficult reality that exists outside of the oasis so that they could live almost exclusively inside of this virtual reality world where you can do anything you want. You can go anywhere, you can be anyone you want. You can create your avatar to be beautiful or have an amazing body and you can do or have anything you want inside the oasis. If you're um, a loser in real life, you can be a hero in the Oasis. If you're afraid in real life, you can be brave in the Oasis. You can live in this alternate world to escape the dangers and the difficulties and the problems and the things that you don't like about yourself that plague you in real life. The Oasis promises uh, safety. It promises satisfaction. It promises limitless possibilities of life and hope. But none of it's real. For the characters in the book, it's just a hill that's a delusion. So what's your oasis this morning? Where do we go for help? Where do we go when you're hurting and confused, when you're discouraged and in pain, when relationships aren't what you thought they would be, when everything seems to be crumbling around you, when life isn't what you thought it was going to be, when you failed, when you've blown it big time, when others have hurt you, when others have failed you, when just life around you seems to be on fire, where do you go for relief? Where do you go for answers? Where do you go for escape and comfort and help? The reality is, is when we go to our personal hills, they ultimately are going to leave us wanting. They leave us more lonely. They leave us more defeated, more discouraged, and, and with less answers. And they leave us as less um, of who we were made to be in Christ. But verse 2 offers us another way. When the psalmist looks up to the hills, when the people singing this psalm look to the hills and they consider all that the hills offer are shadows and illusions and empty promises for life and comfort and confidence, 
they remember that it's the Lord who made these hills. And they reorient their hearts toward him. It says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the one true God, from Yahweh, the God that gave us his name, from the God who not only made us and created us in his image, but the God who made the hills, the God who made all of heaven and earth and everything in them by speaking into nothingness and creating them with his very words. Our help doesn't come from the creation, but from the one who created everything else. This psalm is meant to reorient our hearts toward God in the midst of life's difficulties and instill confidence in him. But as we continue through the psalm, a cursory reading of it actually can lead us to be even more discouraged. Because verse 3 says, He will not let your foot be, slip, be moved. Your foot will not slip. And we think, my foot slips all the time. I struggle and I fail and I fall hard day after day. You can ask my kids and my family. Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. But bad things happen all the time to every one of us. In the day, in the night, all the time. Verse 7 says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. But you and I know evil is constantly around us. Other people hurt us. People we love get sick and die. Injustice happens so frequently that we become numb to the horrors and the tragedies that are occurring in the lives of minorities in our country. Evil is a very present reality, and we're not immune to its effects and to its pains. So what's going on here? What's the psalmist getting at? We can read this and we can get really discouraged because these things do happen to us, and so our wrong conclusion is we're not a part of God's people. We must not be following God appropriately or else these things wouldn't be happening to us. Or the psalmist is a liar, and that means scripture is a bunch of lies, and that means God is a liar, and he can't be trusted, and we can't trust anything that he says. So which is it? Eugene Peterson says this. He says, the promise of this psalm is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. The scriptures, the Psalms, are very realistic, very honest about facing the harsh difficulties and the troubles of this world. At no place in the Bible will you see that, that as a whole, or even in, in this Psalm, it doesn't say that following Jesus is going to result in you getting to avoid all pain, all difficulty, all sin, and the effects of evil. At no time is there even the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties, actually tells us that we're going to have suffering because of it. And we know this very acutely right now in this current moment with the pain and the anguish of many of our black brothers and sisters that they're feeling. And the Psalms are full of laments. Actually, the, the, the largest portion of the Psalms are laments, Psalms that we can cry out in pain when injustice happens, um, when injustice seems to monopolize the journey of our black brothers and sisters. And so for right now, many of us, we just need to learn to, to listen and to learn and to hold our tongues and to educate ourselves in humility. We need to affirm that, that our experience is not normative, that other people experience life much differently than we do. 
And we need to empathize. And we need to lament. And we need to repent. We need to not politicize and weaponize issues of human dignity and value and justice and affirm the image of God in our black brothers and sisters. And we need to look for ways to empathize and to stand with them for the sake of the gospel. We need to live into the reality that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2 where he says it's the blood of Christ that has reconciled us to God and with each other. We need to live into that reality. And so when this psalm promises, what this psalm promises is not exemption from difficulties, but preservation from all the evil inside of them. So if you've ever been on a boat, whether it's been on a river or an ocean, you know that it doesn't matter how much water is in the ocean or how much water is in the river, the water itself cannot sink the boat unless there's a crack in it. And then and only then can the water actually get inside of it. And so just like the water can't seek a boat unless it gets inside of it, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. And that's the promise of this psalm. God guards you from every evil. That evil, if you are in a relationship with God, if you are his child by Jesus' blood and sacrifice, that evil cannot get inside of you. It cannot separate you from God's love and call and purpose. None of the things that happen to us, none of the troubles that confront us have any power to get between us and God. They can't dilute his grace on us. They can't divert us from his purposes for us. And if that's true, that provides us with great encouragement and great confidence and help in the midst of every struggle and weakness. Eugene Peterson continues and says, the only serious mistake we can make when sickness comes, when our anxiety overtakes us, when conflict breaks our relationships, when tragedy strikes, is to conclude that God has gotten bored with us and he shifted his attention to a better Christian or that God has gotten disgusted with all our failings and wanderings and has decided to let us fend for ourselves a while or that God has gotten too busy to care about the messes and problems in our lives. The danger that this psalm is fighting against is the temptation to think that God's presence, God's interest in you, God's favor, God's love for you, it waxes and wanes in response to our spiritual temperature at the moment. So we look to the hills when we start to believe this. We know that God has created all of this and he's supposed to care for us, but it doesn't feel like he does sometimes. So, when it doesn't feel like God is for us, when we can't see him, when we're lost and confused, instead of looking to him, we look to the hills and we look to our own remedies because we think, why would God care about me? And how do we know that when we feel this way that we shouldn't trust our feelings because our feelings can be wrong? We know that when we look to Jesus, to the one who came and who was counted among those whose feet slipped, to the one who gave in, he was counted as one who gave into temptation and looked to the hills, to anywhere but God for life. He was counted as one uh, who, who looked everywhere else but God for purpose and meaning and satisfaction. To the one who was struck by the sun and the moon, who went to his hill and, and died on it for us, who gave up heaven to come down on, on earth as a man to live and to die for us. To the one who had God remove his hand of shade over him 
on the cross when the Father turned away from him and only provided his silence. This one experienced and became all evil so that you and I could be brought in, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be given a new name, so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. Jesus experienced all of our suffering, all of our failures, and he became our sin and our brokenness on the cross so that when we come to him in faith and in repentance, offering the nothing that we have to give to him, we receive him and all of his blessings. So that means when God looks at us, he doesn't see someone who goes time and time again to the hills for help. He sees his perfect son, Jesus, and he rejoices and he promises that he will keep us. And he promises he will not let us go, that he will not sleep on us, that he will not abandon us, that he is present beside us and he is with us as our right, as our shade. And that in Jesus, our foot doesn't actually slip and that he will keep our lives and he will keep us from every evil because if Jesus is with us, the evil can't get inside of us and you can't be separated from his love because Jesus can't be separated from God's love. That is the point of this story. So if you are a Christian this morning, you will lose the love of the Father when Jesus does. That's never gonna happen. And so if you are his, you will never lose his love. That is how intimately connected you are to him. And that's good news this morning for us. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the the difference and the encouragement for us is that in each step we take, in each breath we breathe, we know we're preserved by God. We know we're accompanied by him. We know we're ruled by him. He hasn't ever and he will not ever leave us. And therefore, no matter what doubts creep up, what doubts we endure, what accidents and pain and suffering we experience, what trouble we encounter in this life, the Lord will guard us from every evil. He will not take his presence away from us and he will not take his love away from you. And that gives us great hope. That gives us great confidence in the midst of pain and suffering and discouragement. Because Jesus was separated from God on the cross so that you would never be separated from him. If you're unsure about this whole Christianity and Jesus thing this morning, do you have this type of confidence in anything in your life? Um, Do you have the love of something that can't fail you, that promises to never forsake you despite anything that you do or will do or that's been done to you? What would it be like for you to consider that you're loved like this without, without bargaining, without being manipulated, but to know peace, to know true peace and confidence, even in the midst of great pain and uncertainty. So my invitation to you this morning is to grab hold of this one, the one who promises to keep you, the one who promises to love you and to never leave you. As we close, I can't help but just think of Romans 8, where Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That's the, the promise of Psalm 121. That's the kind of confidence the psalm is trying to instill in us this morning. Do you know that confidence? Do you have that confidence? Let's take hold of him together this morning, looking not to the hills for our help, but to the God who loves us, to the God who rescues us, to the God who made us and pursued us and died for us so that we could be his, so that we would never be separated from him. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your goodness to us, to your faithfulness to us. Uh, we thank you that you love us and never let us go. We thank you that we can come to your table now. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen.